real happiness of the soul, which comes by rendering selfless service to you. Being so very wretched, we simply suffer in this life under the spell of your illusory energy. Purport. After expressing their doubts in the previous verse, the kings herein admit that actually they are suffering because of their own foolishness, having given up the eternal happiness of the soul in exchange for the temporary conditional happiness of the so-called kingly position. Most people make a similar mistake, desiring wealth, power, prestige, aristocratic family, and so on, in exchange for their own soul. The kings admit that they have fallen under the spell of the Lord's illusory energy and have mistaken the tremendous anxiety of political leadership for happiness. So here Krishna is in Dwaraka, he's in his assembly house, and a messenger has come from kings who were kidnapped and imprisoned by Jarasandha. They are asking that Krishna arrange for their release. So before this verse, the kings have blamed God for their suffering. They have said, you are the supreme master, you're the controller, you want everything to be in dharma, why have you allowed us to suffer? So many times we may also go to God like that in our suffering. We may not be put as innocent persons in prison as these kings were, but we may have uh, diseases, financial problems, family problems. And in these problems we have in this world, we may go to God and blame Him. I am a good person, I am a religious person, and you are interested in dharma, why are you making me suffer? But here the kings now, after having said that, they said that, they did say that, but now they are taking responsibility and they are saying actually our suffering is not the fault of God at all. It's interesting that in this verse they are not blaming their karma. Because we can also look at it like that. We can say, my suffering is due to my karma. Maybe in this life I have been a good person, but perhaps in previous lives I was not a good person. Maybe in previous lives I was harm harming other living entities and doing things against the Sastra. But here they have a completely different point of view. And the point of view that the kings are giving in this verse, my dear friends, is the key to getting free of all of our suffering and anxiety and difficulty in this world. And it is possible, we are told, to achieve this within a moment. 
It may take us many, many lifetimes. Bhagavanam Jambanamayante, Gyanamamam Prabhupadayante, Vasudevam Sarvamiti, Samahatmasudurvaha. But it also may be immediately, Antam Sarvapapayya Mokshishyamimasucha. It may be immediately. So what are they seeing is the problem here? It's quite interesting. They say, we gave up the happiness of the soul. Atmani Sukhampa. Our own happiness for something that is an illusion. Of course, the question always arises. How is it that I am such a fool that I have done this? That is always the first question, because uh, if we're not going to blame God, and we're not even going to look at our karma, but we're going to look at our essential choice. By your looking, we have turned our face from God. Then we naturally think that we are intelligent, and that we would choose the best thing. But we can see practically in our lives, do we always choose the best thing? If we have healthy food and not healthy food, do we always choose the healthy food? If we have a choice to exercise or to just sit in our chair, do we always exercise? When we have a choice to be kind to people who are not being kind to us, do we choose always to be kind to them or sometimes are we irritated with them? Do we always make the best choice, even when we know what is the best choice? And we know also by experience. If I eat this food, then I will suffer. And still do we sometimes eat it? We know if I say this thing to my husband, to my wife, we will have an argument. And still we say it. Even though we have experience. Isn't this a fact? Can we say in one day that we always choose to spend our time and energy in the way that we know will make us happy? Can we say that even about one day? Can we think, oh, there's been one day when I made the right choices every minute. Even choices that we know. I'm not talking about things that we don't know, but things that we know through hearing from authorities, our mother has told us, our father, our teachers. And we have practical experience also. So we have ample evidence that we are all fools. Anybody who thinks they are not a fool, then just observe yourself for a day or two. Do we do things against our own experience? So this is not really so surprising. We shouldn't be so surprised that any of us who are suffering in this world have made the foolish choice in the past and in the moment. Srila Prabhupada says that Krishna is giving us a choice at every moment to choose unlimited happiness of the soul or to choose to identify with this body which here the kings say is just a corpse it's a dead body so let's look for a minute at what is this choice 
So we, the soul, Mamai Vamso Jivaloke Jivabhuta Sanatana, we are part of Krishna. We are part of the Lord. Brahmabhuta Prasanatana. When we realize that we are woman, that we are spirit, we are full of joy. Nasochati Nakanchati. We don't care about anything in this world. We get money, don't get money, happiness, distress. It doesn't matter anymore. Because on the level of the soul, we are always happy. Anandam Bhudivardhanam. We actually have an ever-increasing ocean of happiness. You could say we are made of happiness. Satchit Ananda or Anandamaya Vyasat. Our nature is to be happy. Not just the kind of happiness like it's a day that's not too hot and not too cold and I have enough money in the bank and my family is healthy and my friends are smiling with me not, you know, and I am eating pizza not that kind of happiness the happiness of the soul is something genuine it is not temporary it is not limited by time and space it is not limited to the senses and it is based on love. It is based on love for God and love for ourselves. Krishna explains in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, we relish and rejoice in the self. He says in that state we are enjoying boundless transcendental happiness through transcendental senses. And this happiness of the soul has many varieties. It is a happiness of a loving exchange between us, the soul, and the Supreme. This can be exchanged in five different ways, serving the Lord as our master, as our friend, as our child, or even as our beloved. And in each of those categories, there are millions and millions and millions of subcategories and so many different waves of emotions in that ecstasy. Just like in this world, when people want to enjoy, they don't just do things that, they don't just do things that are comedy. Sometimes they like to watch a sad movie also. Yes? Or a scary movie, not only comedy. So our spiritual happiness is also full of all these emotions but all full of ecstasy and always getting better and better without any kind of satiation. So that is our natural position. And it is already there. It is not something to be achieved by any other source. It is already existing within us if we simply want it. It has been there forever. We have no beginning. And this happiness of the soul of our real self also has no beginning. This experience of the soul is far beyond any religion in this world. In fact, in uh, the Manashiksha of Raghunathaswa Swami, he says, don't be attached to the dharma and adharma of this world. What's being taught here in the Bhagavatam, in the Bhagavad Purana, and in the Bhagavad Gita is not a particular religion of the world. 
They are not teaching, oh, be a very good Hindu, or be a very good Christian, or be a very good Muslim. And then you'll be pious in the world, and you'll get some good karma by the grace of God. No, what the Vedic literature is teaching us is realize that we are different from this world. Completely. We are an eternal spiritual being. But now let's look at what we have traded this for. And this is not just a past event. If we are not experiencing this happiness of the soul right now in this moment, then we are choosing to not have it. What are we choosing to take its place? So it is said here, right? Buying fear, miritikena with the corpse. So although this body is made up of living cells, that is a fact, our heart muscles, our neurons, they are alive. But the body as a whole is not actually alive. Just like if you have a colony of ants, or a group of birds, or a group of fish that move together. <coughs> but there's no, each of them are just individuals, yeah? So our body is like that, it's made up of little living cells, and they're moving together like a group of birds or something. But the body as a whole only has awareness because I am in the body. As soon as the soul leaves the body, the body has no awareness of itself, isn't it? As soon as there's a dead body, even a dead dog or a dead insect, there's no awareness in the body as a whole of itself. You all understand? The body itself actually has no sensation. We are thinking, we are thinking, oh, my nose is smelling this flower. That is not true. The nose has no capacity to smell. How do you know that? Because if I am out of this body, you can put the same flower to the nose, and the nose does not experience anything. Or if you're going to have a surgical operation, and they give you anesthesia, and someone puts a flower to the nose, there's no smell, and no touch sensation. So we're thinking, I am getting this pleasure, I am getting this pain, my clothes are soft on my body, that is pleasure, the floor is hard, that is pain. But none of that is real. Actually, the body has no sensations. 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 There's nothing as happiness or distress for this body at all. Nothing. At all. It's just a dead thing. It's like my clothes. Do my clothes have any sensation? Nothing. But because I am wearing the clothes, if you pull on the clothes, I feel something. But the clothes themselves, there's nothing. So body has nothing. It is only the interface of the mind. And even the mind has nothing. It is the soul only. And because we are identifying with this body, if you think of it, 
just like if you are watching some film, some TV show, and somebody in the TV show or the film, they get a lot of money. And you may become very happy. Oh, my hero in the film is now rich. But it is not true. It actually is some actor. There's no hero in the film. It is all an imagination. And where are you happy? If you are not rich, you look in your bank the same amount of money. So it is a hallucination only, really. So our identification with this body, it's some kind of madness actually. Our identification with the mind, that oh, if my body is pinched, I'm in pain, and my body smells a flower, I'm happy. Somebody insults me, I feel pain. Somebody praises me, I feel happy. The happiness of the mind. It's all completely imagination. 100%. I'm identifying with something dead. So you would say, this is madness. And in fact, Srila Prabhupada wrote something in the beginning of Iskand called, Who is Crazy? So we are all crazy. That we are thinking, this is me. And this is my happiness. So then the question comes, why am I making this choice? Because when I identify with the body and the mind, I am full of fear. I am full of fear. The body and mind is not me. And I can be cut off from it at any moment, more or less. So my source of so-called pleasure can be taken away at any time. So I am afraid. I am afraid. It's like a child watching the television and the mother is standing there with the remote. Have you done your schoolwork? At any moment she can turn it off in the middle of the program. So we are like that. It's like, you know, the demigods, Yamaraj, God himself. He's standing there with the remote. That you can change the channel. You know, we have a nice day. That so we are always in a state of fear all the time. Constantly. How is this story going to end? Is someone going to change the channel? Is someone going to turn off the show? And we guarantee, it's guaranteed that the show is going to be turned off. Guaranteed. We think, oh no, not my show is going to be turned off. Everybody else's only. So why are we making this choice? What are we attached to? There is something we cannot get with spiritual happiness. Only one thing. And that is our attachment that keeps us in this illusion. That is the choice we are making moment by moment if we are not feeling unlimited, unending bliss. Does anyone know what is the one thing we cannot get on our actual spiritual platform? There's one thing we cannot get. Anybody know? 
What am I getting in my illusion that I cannot have in spiritual life? No, that's opposite. I am getting satisfaction spiritually, but not material. Yes. In my illusion, I can think I am the master. That I cannot have in my unlimited eternal bliss. It's not available. That's the only thing that's not available. Why is it not available? Because it's not true. It's not available because it's something false. It's actually never available. That I am the Supreme Master and I am the Supreme Controller. There was one famous poem. I am the captain of my ship and the master of my soul. So this is, or there was one famous American singer. And he said, you know, life may go up and life may go down. People may hate me, may love me. But at the end I will say, I did it my way. <coughs> no, this is nonsense. But we get this illusion. I am doing it my way. I am a master. I am a controller. And when we surrender to Krishna, we have to give that up. That is the only thing we have to give up. You do not have to give up your family, your house, your clothes, your money, your car, your motorcycle. None of that. We don't have to give up any of that. The only thing we need to give up, I am the doer, I am the master, I am the center of the universe. And we are so afraid. And if I give this up, how will I be? If I give this up, how will I get what I want to? I have to be in control of my own life and my own desires, otherwise I will be cheated. So we are desperately holding on to this concept of being the center of the universe, of being the master, of being the doer, of being the controller. And it's because of that that we do bad karma. It is because of that that we make bad decisions. And it is because of that that we are not accessing our unlimited eternal happiness that is within us all the time. <coughs> so this is great foolishness on our part. So the process of yoga, the process of bhakti yoga, is to get us to gradually, gradually become convinced that it's okay that Krishna is the master, that it's safe, that surrendering to Krishna as the master and the controller is, is going to be safe. It's going to be okay. Krishna will not hurt us. He loves us. And little, little, little usually takes a long time. We could do it instantly. We can instantly surrender to Krishna and instantly access who we are. Immediately. There's no impediments. Nothing external can stop us. Impossible. No other person, no government, no condition of the body, no condition of the mind, no behavior of other people. Nothing can stop us. But generally, we need to build up our shraddha, our faith. That it's okay. And usually we let go of this ahankara a little bit. We say, oh, it's okay. 
then a little bit, oh, it's okay, Krishna's my friend. Then a little bit more, oh, now it's getting really nice. But I'm not good, not everything. Oh, a little bit more. Right, we have uh, right there, Vamandev. So when Vamandev went to Bali Maharaj, and he asked for just three steps of land, and Bali was thinking, this is nothing. I am the master of the universe. You know? It's just like Prabhupada comes and he says, just chant Hare Krishna one time. We don't have nothing. I can do it. Take a little prasad. Nothing. I can do that. A little thing. Yeah? And now chant 16 rounds. Maybe I can do that. So I'm going to have three steps. Okay, no problem. And Supercharge said, you be careful, this is not ordinary steps. And Bali's like, it's alright, I'm Dharmic. I keep my word. And then Vamadev took the whole universe. And then he arrested Bali. It took some time before Bali decided, okay, okay, I'll give myself this. So we may also do that. We may say, okay, I'm going to get initiated. I'll get into me. I'll give my time. I'll give my family. I'll give my energy. But is there something that we are holding on to? This part I will not give. Even Krishna arrests me and embarrasses me. This I will keep. And therefore, even though we are chanting, and even though we are serving, still we continue to suffer. So we also are asking Krishna to rescue us. We are asking Krishna to rescue us from the prison of our own desires. We are asking Him to show us, please show me that you are safe, that you are my friend, that you love me, that actually I will get all of my desires fulfilled. And please show me the real nature of what I am holding on to, so that I can let it go and be free of this prison that I have created for myself. So does anyone have any questions or comments or additions, attractions? What is the definition of illusion? The definition of illusion is something that looks different from what it is. Just like uh, there was a place in America I would stay, and when I would walk in the morning when it was still dark, Every morning it looked like there were three people standing in the street. And every morning when I would see them, I would feel some fear. Every morning, even though I would walk there, and I knew it wasn't three people, it was a mailbox, post box, and some, you know, telephone pole, light pole. It wasn't people. But still, every morning when I would see it, oh, there were some people standing on the road at five o'clock in the morning. 
So that's illusion. When something looks like a thing, it is not. So this world is simply a combination of the three modes of nature. It's just protons, neutrons, and electrons spinning around with constantly, constantly changing forms. The dirt becomes a tree, becomes a table, becomes ashes and dirt again. Constantly shifting, changing forms. But it's just the modes of material nature. And actually even this mostly empty space. So things appear to us differently than they are. They are something. It's not an illusion doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists, but what it is and what it appears to be are completely different. Krishna says he is the light of the sun and the moon. He says he is the taste of water. He says he is the intelligence of the intelligence, the austerity of the tapasvis. So all these things, that if the sun is bringing you some happiness, that is Krishna. If the moon is bringing you happiness, you see, oh, that is Krishna. Don't just see, oh, the moon is making my eyes happy. Say, oh, this is this light of the moon, this is Krishna. And then you can experience it as spiritual happiness instead of material happiness. Srila Prabhupada writes in the 14th chapter of Krishna book, Maya is only within the mind. Okay? That's what sadhana bhakti is called. Sadhana means practice, abhyasa yoga. So you practice seeing everything in relation to Krishna. Make a deliberate effort to see everything in relationship to Krishna. To kind of force the mind that we see everything in relationship to Krishna. And because that is our natural state, gradually it will become more and more natural. Because it is natural. Is there anybody else who has a question? You're asking very nice questions. Is there anyone else who has any question or comment? Okay, are we ready? Maybe we can do a little a little step forward to surrender. Huh? If we can't surrender totally today, at least think, how can I make one centimeter forward? Yeah? Chilaprabha, Kim, Chilaprabha. 